I am walking up one of the cart paths of the Cory Golf Course that is a mile and a half north of our church. Now, this golf course closed down in 2007, and as you look behind me, you can see that the fairways are now almost as tall as I am. Now, I brought you out here because I want to show you the tallest post oak tree in the country, potentially the tallest in the world. Now, experts will rank these champion trees based on a formula. They take its height, its circumference, and its crown, take all those measurements, put it into a formula, and spit out a score. Now, interestingly, this post oak tree, well, it is not the highest scoring champion post oak. That title belongs to a tree in Madison County, Tennessee. Now, the difference between these two trees is that the tree in Madison County is 76 feet tall. This post oak tree is over 112 feet tall. That's almost 50% taller. Now I'm told that this is almost 200 years old and post oak trees can grow to be almost 450 years old, which means it can actually grow quite a bit more. Now, I want to show you this tree. It really is a magnificent tree, and, and if you ever want to come see it, you should. That right there is the tallest post oak tree in the country, potentially in the world. Now, you may be asking yourself, now, why in the world would I come out here to just show you the trunk of the tallest post oak tree and potentially the world? And the answer is simple. It's called perspective and that's what we're talking about this weekend just like this tree we have a tendency to approach life by not understanding the big picture but just seeing the pieces we tend to when we're young think that we understand how the world works and we get it better than anyone and as we get older we tend to think no now i understand the world and you have to understand it through older eyes we do this to our faith, too, because we have a tendency to take a few stories or pieces of Scripture and we try to understand what God is doing in the world and in our lives when in all reality we can't possibly understand all that God is doing unless we understand the bigger narrative. Did you know there's a narrative that runs from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation? We have to understand that narrative if we're ever going to hope to understand what God is doing now in this time and in our church and in our lives it's all about perspective the author aldous huxley said there are things that are known and there are things that are unknown in between is the door to perception this is all part of our series called rooted where we are seeking to grow deep and live strong i hope that you'll join us and I hope someday you'll come out and see this really magnificent tree. There it is, the tallest post oak tree in the world. If you want to come see it, you can come to Reeves Lake Road off of Mountain Creek Road, which is, again, just a mile and a half north of us. You can follow the cart path behind the clubhouse, and you can see this tree for yourself. It really is a wonder that this tallest post oak may be the absolute tallest tree of its kind in the world. ...in the world is a mile and a half from where you're sitting right now. We are continuing our series. This is our second week talking about being rooted. We have all had a big weekend, not all, but a lot of us have. As many of our students have graduated, I think a lot of them are sleeping in this morning. Uh, parties have been happening all weekend, and we're, we, it is our third generation of kids that started our kids' ministry and have now graduated high school, which is really hard to believe um, that that is where we are as a church. So uh, we're excited about where they're headed. It's important to be rooted, not just as an adult, but as a graduating senior. It's important to be rooted 
as a young adult and as a child, we teach you how to be rooted in your life. Now, there are lots of things that we try to teach our kids, but today what I want to talk about with you is what does it look like to have a godly perspective? I, I met with several pastors I, I do each week, and, and we were talking this week. Typically, what we do on the church calendar following Easter is we begin to go into kind of autopilot. People start bailing for uh, summer activities or just summer's here, so we sleep in or whatever. And so uh, we are taking a different approach in that typically the series rooted that we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is something we would say for the fall, but we've taken a year off from each other. We are blowing through the summer. Now, that means I hope you will be here and you'll take the time to discern within your own family and with your own life what it means to be rooted. And if we're going to have a serious conversation in this time and in this place about what it means to be truly rooted in Christ so that when a storm comes, it doesn't blow us over and we know what we believe, that we can grow deep and we can live strong, we have to start with some basic ideas and principles and then we have to become more specific. Last week, I shared a lot about where Journey came from. I shared a lot about my own testimony and my hope when we started this church was that we would be a people who were serious about faith. We were serious about what it means to work and live in the community. It was it's interesting. We were at a time when we started a journey uh, at a time when a lot of people that attended church never knew anybody outside of church. And there were statistics galore that said the average person after they've been a Christian for six months have, have no friends that are Christians. And we felt like that was a complete uh, completely contrary to what the Great Commission was about or what it means to be a, the kingdom that goes out and shows people who Jesus is. So we worked really hard to say you need to be out in the world building relationships with people who aren't Christians. And everyone kind of took that and ran with it, but now they don't come here much, <laughs> right? We've become a people that will be a part of something every now and again, or we'll come for one week out of every five or six, and we feel like we're connected. But if anything, the pandemic has shown us if we don't spend regular time together, we're not connected. So a lot of my brethren and cohorts are slowing down for the summer. I'm just trying to warn you, we are ramping things up over the next few months. That includes kids' ministry. That includes where we're headed this fall. We can't go where I think we need to go this fall unless we prepare ourselves now for it. So, with all that said, I know you have lots of things going on in the summer. We do too. We'll be gone some. You'll be gone some. I encourage you to check us out online when you can't be here, but be here as much as you can. Now, I'm talking about perspective because depending on who you talk to, people will say the church is in trouble. People are leaving in general, the churches in our city, the pastors have shared that we've experienced the same thing they have, roughly a 60 to 70% return of people to worship before then where we were before the pandemic. I have my inbox flooded with consultants telling me what we need to do to grow our church to 2,000 people. And the reality is I have no interest in growing a corporate business centered around a religious person. We either are real about who Jesus is to us or we are not. That takes perspective. Now, what ends up happening in our lives when we don't understand perspective is we miss something really crucially important because we only see a piece. We don't see the whole. It's like if you heard the first 30 seconds of John Lennon's Imagine, but you never heard the rest of the song, would it still be one of the most popular songs of all times? Or if you only had the introduction to Anna Karenina and you didn't have the option to read the whole thing. What if we just had a little shot of the, shol the shoulder of the Mona Lisa or the knee of the thinker or maybe the big toe of the Statue of Liberty? Would they today have the same meaning to us that they do? And of course they wouldn't. And perspective is important. We wouldn't have an intensely positive conversation with our spouse and then never talk to them ever again. We wouldn't say that was so good, like let's never talk again. We would never do that. 
But a lot of times we approach life that way. Our, our, our life has blinders on and we see little pieces, but we don't see the whole. And the problem is, is you don't know that you're looking at the shoulder of the Mona Lisa until you've seen the whole thing. And you don't know you're looking at the big toe of the Statue of Liberty until you see the whole thing. We do this with our faith, too, because we tend to pick little pieces of Scripture here and there. And there's a lot of times that if we don't understand the big story God is telling, we will miss it. And in this day and time following a pandemic, if we don't return to the bigger story that God is telling, we will miss what God is doing right now. And I believe God is doing a lot right now. Now, it's a transitional time, and it's different, and it's just kind of weird at times, this morning I walked in Walmart for the first time in a year without a mask on, and it felt glorious, right? Things are weird right now. What does it look like to grow deep and to live strong? That is where we are headed, and as followers of Jesus, that is my prayer for you, and that is my prayer for my family, and that is my prayer for me. In talking about perspective, George Harrison in Yellow Submarine said, it's all in the mind. Is that true? If I just show you the trunk of the tallest post oak tree in the world, you feel cheated because, hey, we want to see the top of it. And I quoted in our video Aldous Huxley, who's a British writer. He said, "Things there are things known and there are things unknown, and in between are the doors of perception. My hope is, is that we will grow our perception to see the big picture so that we can dive deeper and be stronger, and live more fully. As we look through Scripture, there is a big picture, a big story, a single narrative that is running throughout the whole Bible. It begins in Genesis 1, and it goes to the end of Revelation. And my f- belief is, is that if we as God's people have not read the whole story, we can't possibly understand the little pieces. So here's what I want to do today. I want to share with you the big story. I want to kind of drive home the idea that looking at the pieces does not make the whole and then give you some encouragement on how do you move forward with us this summer. Now, unlike most books we read, the Bible is not made from start to finish and a single genre, a single typical narrative. There is a narrative that runs from start to finish, but as I'll share in a few minutes, the Bible is broken up into different types of literature, which is one of the reasons that if you have tried to read the Bible from start to finish, you have probably got discouraged or frustrated or bored and said, I'm done. And you don't understand how this fits with that and how this over here goes in this spot over here and how do we make sense of the whole thing. There are ways for us to understand what that looks like, but in the totality of the Scripture as it's given to us, Genesis 1-1 begins how? How does it begin? In the beginning. Just like a story, right? Once upon a time. Now, if we go to the end of Revelation, in the last chapter, in the third paragraph before the last verse of Revelation, it says that we will reign forever and ever with God which sounds eerily familiar to, and they lived happily ever after. Now, in between these verses, there is a whole lot going on. There's a whole lot of story. There's a whole lot that God is doing. And at times we misunderstand what those pieces are. And until we interpret it through the whole then we may actually miss what it means. If I did honestly show you a picture of the big toe of the Statue of Liberty, most of you would probably know that it's the Statue of Liberty. It has a very specific patina. I, when you, You've seen the Statue of Liberty so many times that it's likely, I, I, I know what that is. That has to be the Statue of Liberty. It's that green color. And that just looks like the way the Statue of Liberty's robe just drapes over her foot. You would probably see it, but you only would know that because you have seen the whole thing. 
Now, it's my belief, it's my conviction that that is how we have to approach God. That is how we have to approach the Scripture. Otherwise, we go into crazy places. You know, some of the, the worst people on the face of the planet have used Jesus as their justification for their terrible acts because they take a piece and they ignore the whole. So if we start with kind of this ultra big picture from start to finish, what we find is that God wants us to reign with him forever. And he wants us to live the best, we, the best life we can possibly live with him. That's what the big picture is. God wants you to reign with him forever. And he wants you to experience the absolute best life that you can live right now. And forever. Now, it would be hard to go through and read the Bible and think, oh, I see that ultra big picture whenever I go to the book of Numbers, right? And the book of Numbers that tells us about all kinds of demographics and genealogies and things like that. We sometimes get lost in those moments. Or maybe if you're going through the book of Lamentations and the book of Lamentations and begins with, oh, it's meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It would be hard to see this bigger picture of what God is doing if that's the only book we ever read. What if that's the only thing that had been preserved for us? Would we be here today worshiping Jesus? And the answer is absolutely no. Who needs that, right? Life is hard enough for us to get around and talk about how life, how hard life is. There's hope we're looking for. There's something bigger we're looking for. But this ultra big picture, we have to, we have to look at it with a little more detail. So a slightly more detailed big picture. We go to the slightly bigger, couple of slides forward, Jeremy. The slightly bigger picture begins with this when we start in Genesis. Number one, God is a glorious creative being that created everything and he said it was good. We were one big black mass, and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over it, and God spoke, and he created the heavens and the earth and the waters and the mountains and the land and the beasts and the insect and the trees and the grass, and he said it was good. And then God created man and woman and put them in the garden, and he said they were good, and he said, I want you to work with me. And so the second piece of this slightly bigger picture of the entire Bible is that God invited us to partner with him, to take care of his creation, and he says, I want you to make it even better than it already is, giving Adam and Eve jobs to do, to name the animals and to look after it and to tend it and to grow it. So God's invitation was, reign with me, partner with me. This will be an incredible life we have together. I've created all that is good and you will make it better. The third piece of the story we find early on is that we can either choose to partner with God in this life in which he has called us, or we can choose our own path, but that path will lead to pain and broken relationships. This is the tree that's in the garden. This is sin that enters the world that poisons relationships. It breaks down the way we deal with each other, and it destroys our relationship with the one who created us and invited us to partner with him and live the best life you could possibly live. In this glorious creation, then God started working through one man's family, Abraham. And he said, I'm going to restore what you're doing. And this family created a nation that we called Israel. We have glorious stories. Much of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is really about this family, God's chosen people. And I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to bring you back to a place where you can partner with me. And I'm going to restore what we originally meant to have in the Garden of Eden. And yet, there were times that they did well, but ultimately they turned away from God and it all fell apart. The next plot line of the bigger picture and the slightly less big picture than the ultra big picture is that Jesus came to take the punishment 
for choosing not to partner with him. He gave everyone an opportunity to be made new and to have an eternal partnership with him because the old ways, the law wasn't working. And as we just talked about on the day of Pentecost, God will live in us if we choose to renew our partnership with God and we will reign with God forever and ever. Now, if you're a student of Scripture, you're thinking, okay, I I see all those points, but there's a lot more there. Well, the reality is, yeah, there is a lot more there. What we tend to do when we look at Scripture is we tend to look at Scripture as some kind of a behavioral handbook. I've even used it as that illustration years and years ago. If if you need to know how to live your life, go to the Bible. If you need to, to know how to handle hardship, go to the Bible. If you need to know how to forgive someone who's hurt you, go read these verses in the Bible. And while the Bible can absolutely be used in those ways, when we look at the Bible simply as a behavioral handbook and not the bigger story that God's trying to tell, we will miss much of what God has said in this book. There's a big picture that runs from start to finish. And we we call this, when we look for a verse that says what we want it to say, we call this proof texting. I find one verse. And it says what I want it to say, and so that's the verse I memorize. But these verses I don't like because they don't say what I want them to say. I pretend they're not there, which is problematic if this is actually real or not. Because if I don't like this about God, then whatever image we have of God is not true. And it's my perspective that there are a lot of people in the world that have created an image of God that is not true. Jesus said it would be that way. This is how it's going to go. He said there's going to be wheat and there's going to be chaff. The wheat's the real thing. The chaff is, is not the real thing. And the church has both in it, and the wheat and the chaff are both going to grow, and you're not going to be able to tell the difference. But one day I know the hearts of both, and the chaff will be separated from the wheat. Jesus said things like, this is all about love. I want you to be with me. I'm merciful. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But he also said things like, if you are not serious about loving me, then I can have nothing to do with you. He also said, there's going to come a time when you stand before me and I'm going to say, depart from me, you never knew me. And you're going to tell me all the things you did about faith, but I'm going to say, no, it wasn't real and you know it. And if we take those difficult verses and we push them away, then what we're left with is a God who is not God. It's just our perception of who we wish God was, which is really back to the same problem we had in the beginning are we partnering with god or are we choosing our own path and if we read through the whole thing the law gets a lot of bad press because we don't like legalism i hate legalism but the law is not legalistic incredible enough one of the things god had to do was show us so you know that you're in this world that's broken and messed up How do you live in partnership with me? Which is what the law is. He gave allowances for when we mess up. He showed us how we should learn. He knew that the world, living in this broken world, would be so difficult for us to understand and keep in mind the big picture that in the Old Testament, parents were instructed to tell their children to take the Word of God and to put it in a box and to bind it around their head so they take it with them everywhere they go because it's so easy to forget the bigger story that God is trying to tell. The perspective is incredibly important. If someone's told you you're not good enough unless you do X, Y, and Z, you may believe it if they're a person of authority in your life. But if you read the whole story and realize that Jesus gave his life for you because he loves you and because you have ultimate value to him, then you can take what X, Y, and Z they said you're not good enough and you can throw it in the trash and walk away knowing you have the full favor of God. Perspective matters. 
Understanding the whole matters. And honestly, we can't really understand what God is saying or doing in this time unless we interpret it through the bigger story. A restoration, a return, a new beginning. That is what God is calling us to. A popular verse that we like to read is Romans 8.28, and it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We love Romans 8.28 because it means everything bad is going to be good, but isn't good subjective? Like, well, what is good? What does that mean? I mean, is good like I get everything I want, but we miss at the very next verse and Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, in other words, I'm going to make all things turn out good, which means you're going to, I'm working all the things in your life to become more like the image of Christ. That's very different than just our subjective idea of what is good, isn't it? Be our definition of good is different. We find that again in Hebrews, another very popular verse, Hebrews 11.1. 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we love that. And that's one of the reasons we have centered on belief and not practice. It's about faith. It's about believing. And yet we miss that the next 39 verses of Hebrews 11 talks about heroes of the faith and the actions that that faith caused them to take. Because practice and faith go hand in hand. You cannot have faith without practice. See, there's a difference in being rooted and floating around making it up as we go along. We make it up when we go along when we don't take into account the bigger story that God is telling us. Ephesians 2.8, another one, very popular. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast, which has been heralded by people who literally do nothing ever about their faith to say, I'm saved by faith, not by works. But if you read the very next verse, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, when you take a proof text and you miss the context, you miss what God is saying to you. And I learned a long time ago, recreating God into the image I want him to be is meaningless. It doesn't do anything. It's worthless. Now, Oh, one more. This is a uh, this is a, probably the worst. <laughs> Psalm thirty-seven, four. Delight yourself in the Lord; He will give you the desires of your heart. Claim that verse. We pray that verse. We embroider that ver- verse on artwork, and we put it in our houses. What if God gave every single one of us the desires of our heart? Oh my goodness! You all would be in a world of hurt, because you know. We have a tendency to think my desires are about me. We got to see the big picture. Now, why am I saying this? I'm being a little harsh. I'm encouraging you to be here for this whole series. That's not my intention to be harsh. It's my intention for us to be real. The church is in a in a pickle right now. Church is in a pickle because we are gleaming the results of what we have become. I don't just mean journey. I mean all. Of, I mean all the whole big church. We're in a pickle, particularly in this country. We have had a time of great prosperity, and we are the best marketers in the entire world what I do for my day job. I'm a marketer, by the way. That's why our marketing isn't all that great. I hate to do marketing for our church. But we're the best marketers in the world. And how do you market something? We find what your need or your problem is, and we tell us how our product 
is your solution. And we have marketed Jesus as a solution, not Jesus as the greatest treasure of all time. We even named it, we call it consumer Christianity. And it's killing us. It's killing us. The church, as we shared out a few months ago, has actually been in decline since 1950. We had a high of church attendance in the United States of America in 1950. And we've been in decline ever since. And then we hit 2020, and like all the brakes were thrown off. Isn't this an encouraging, inspirational sermon? Aren't you glad you got up to be here this morning? I know I am. Again, my point here is not to be a doomsayer, because if you see the bigger picture, I'm going to reign with Jesus forever and ever. I'm not particularly worried about the number of people that attend churches in the United States of America in 2021. God has got this. He is working things out. What I am concerned with is I want to be the weed and not the chaff. I don't want to be doing going through the motions and standing before Jesus and Jesus say, I never knew you. You've been faking it all throughout your life. And believe me, I can fake it. I can create within my mind a new reality. I I love the guy from Mythbusters who says, I reject your reality and I substitute my own. Isn't that the way we often live our lives? I'm telling you the big story because I, I don't want that to be our story. Now, the beautiful thing about Jesus is he says, when you partner with me, like life is going to be both good and terrible. <laughs> so this is why marketing doesn't work for Jesus. It's going to be good and terrible. It's going to be good because your relationships, it's going to be like they're the best thing you've ever had before. When two people who have the Holy Spirit and they love Jesus and they love each other are in the room together, something spectacular happens. There's a time when you get together with someone and something begins to well up within you that says, this is what life is supposed to be like. You have those friends in which they love Jesus so much that you can see it, feel it, within them. That's what happens. If you go back and look through the law, we find that there's mutual respect for each other. So we proof text and we say that wives should be submissive to husbands, forgetting that the verse before says that we should be submissive to each other. Immediately prior to that verse. But we don't ever say that one. See, the big story matters. What I want for us is that we move forward in truth and we move forward with real hope and we move forward with Christ being within us and these tongues of fire that 2,000 years ago they celebrated on the 50th day after Easter actually still happens today. And he comes to live within you. This is the story of Jesus, the story in which someone said, you are not good enough, and he says, but you're the one I want. Someone says, you'll never amount to anything. And Jesus says, together we're going to change the world. It's time for us to really reflect where are we going and what are we doing and does this matter? This is the path we're on as a church. And let me just tell you this. What, what gets me excited is that this is moving throughout the churches in our city. The pandemic has had a lot of really negative effects. But what's about to happen is going to be spectacular as we get serious about our faith. As we ask the hard questions and we begin to grow deeper and live stronger. This is why we have to answer the question, what do I want most? To know God as He is or to imagine Him as I want Him to be? Which do we want? That's why Jesus told these two parables in Matthew 13. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had 
and he bought it. This is who God is. He is the treasure. He is the pearl. He is not a manual on how to behave yourself in church. He is everything. He is beautiful. He is the one that lets hope well up within us when everything around us tells us to despair. He's the one who says, no matter what anyone says about you, I love you. You are beautiful to me. You are my child, and I want to do this life with you forever. He's the one who looks at our world and its brokenness and its anger and its hurt and its pain, and he hurts with us and calls us to bind up the wounds of a broken world so that they would know this story that eclipses every other story. This is what the big story of Scripture is. Now, how do we stay within this big story? There was a time I believed that we should make the Bible as easy to understand as possible. And I still believe that it is important that we don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. Like we need to use normal language, right? We need to talk about what it means to really be these things in ways that we talk today, not just use big words that confuse people. But there is a truth that if you're going to see the big picture and understand each piece of Scripture as it relates to the big, so that we're not just seeing the trunk, having no idea that that's the tallest post oak tree in the world a mile and a half from us, then we have to read from cover to cover. I will tell you that if you're going to read the Bible from cover to cover, you're going to get lost in the weeds more than once. And if you're going to read it like a book, like any other novel that you would read, you're going to get frustrated really quickly and you're going to quit. And it's probably why most of us, when we started reading all of Scripture, did quit because, you know, I just, I got lost in the prophets or Malachi or Numbers. It's usually in the Old Testament that we get lost. Or I read one of the Gospels once. Isn't that pretty much everything I need to know? Well, it's super important. But understand, we have four of those suckers in there, and they each one talk a little differently and present things a little differently, so we understand the whole a little better. That's why there's so much is in there. Interestingly, and I'm just going to lay this out if you decide you want to do this, so you have a little bit better picture of what you're reading as you go through. If you begin to read the Bible through from the beginning to the end, you have to start with Genesis, and you have to understand that there are three particular types of literature in the Old Testament. And as you read them, it will either enhance those readings or it will make you frustrated and you'll want to quit. There are five basic types of literature in the Bible, all telling one story in different ways through different mouths, all God speaking through them in some way or the other so that we can understand the story he wants to tell in your life. Five basic types of literature in the Bible, and there are three of them in the Old Testament. Now, we want the Bible to be a narrative or a story because that's the easiest one to read. It's the way we, we are able to understand and follow one thing after the other after the other. We want things to evolve in a certain way. And, and if you're going to tell a good story, then that story has to be structured in a certain way. That's not really how the narrative of the Bible is told. But there are three primary parts of the Old Testament. Each one comprises about a third of the Old Testament. One is narrative or story. It's the Bible leading up to 2 Kings, and it's the story really of creation and then God choosing Abraham and his family, leading up to the time in which Israel turns away from God. And this is the beginning of the Babylonian exile in which God says, I'll give you over to the choices you've made. And that's really the end of the narrative of the Old Testament. There are two other sections that you're going to read. Interestingly, in that narrative, at the end of the Old Testament, they actually return to Jerusalem, a few people, but 500 years go by before Jesus shows up again in the story. So the first third of the Old Testament is story. It's narrative. It's fascinating. It draws you in, minus maybe numbers and 
you can get lost in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And Exodus is pretty exciting, I got to say. And then when you get to the kings, wow. I mean, the kings are like no soap opera you've ever seen. It's like, it's scintillating. It's weird. It's bad. So we get into the prophets. The prophets are not just meant to be read as something that's going to happen, although the test of a prophet in the Old Testament, like if you say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, like we're going to kill you. That's how they ensured people didn't want to be a false prophet. Like we kill the false prophets. We don't do that today. But the prophets are poetry. We read poems different than a story. This is them speaking for God, and that's about a third of the Old Testament. The other third are these other writings, these various voices who speak into the story, and in each one of these other writings, they they will announce at the beginning of the writing how this fits into the bigger story. These are some of our favorites. We call some of these wisdom, literature, psalms, proverbs. We love those about another third of the Old Testament. The New Testament only has two types. It reads much more like a story. And, but we have lots of different voices talking about the same events in different ways. Two main types are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then all the rest, which are letters or epistles, which is what the word epistles mean. They're letters that they wrote to say, this is what we're about. Because interestingly enough, the problem we have in the church today, they had on day two of the church back then. Because there's a temptation for us to recreate God in the way we want him to be. But that is not who God is. If someone is going to reject God, let them reject God for who he is, not the God we have made up in our own minds. We've got to know that. The epistles are letters to churches and church leaders about how to be the church. This is what I want to leave you with. Is that you cannot understand what God is trying to do unless you see it through the lens of the bigger story that God is telling. If you're looking for meaning in your life, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for a way to navigate through all the ugliness of the world, the brokenness, the hurt that people are experiencing. We do that by seeing our circumstances through the eyes of God. It's perspective. All those verses I just read, that's looking at the shoulder and missing the Mona Lisa. That's looking at the toe and missing the Statue of Liberty. That's reading the introduction and missing the rest of Anna Karenina or whatever your favorite book is. We have to see the whole. And the whole story boils down to this. God created you to reign with him forever. And the life you can have by partnering with him is beyond anything you can possibly imagine. The hard part comes in in the fact that when the world chooses to live in a different way, it comes at us hard because they reject this way. This is where persecution comes in. This is where people begin to make fun of you for being a Christian or to say, oh, you're weak-minded or you need a crutch or whatever because they look at the way in which God has called us And if we are a relational people, because Scripture says if you want to really sum everything up, the ultra big picture is this is really all about love, loving God and each other. When you really love people and your faith causes divisions with people that don't like you because of your faith, it greets pain. This is why Jesus says we have to pick up our cross. That's why he says, you're going to be with me forever, but for now, you're gonna, it's going to be hard. That's why Paul said, listen, I cannot wait to go and be with Jesus. I'm ready to go right now. But you need me here. This is where he wants me, so I'm here with you right now. There's this beautiful thing, this pearl of great price, this treasure in the field, and that has to be the story in which we read every single passage of Scripture. 
changes the way we see. It changes the way we live. Now, it's important that if you decide that you want to live within this big picture and you want to understand it, and you begin to read from cover to cover, you know, whether you do it through some kind of a, a, a plan that's in, in some kind of order or you just read the way that they are in the original canons, which is how they fall in your Bible. Interestingly, there's some, some of them are out of sequence in, in order of the narrative. It doesn't really matter. You have to read with a sense of curiosity and awe. You cannot read with the sense of, i got to get this right or God's going to be mad at me. If you read it that way, you'll go off the rails really quick. There has to be a sense of curiosity and awe, a sense that I'm not going to get it all in my first reading. That's why early mature believers will read the Bibles from start to finish multiple times throughout their life, each time finding something new and different, understanding something better. I, I, I'm so admire Christians... <laughs> who they've said the exact same thing from the beginning of their faith to the end, like they were so rooted from the very beginning, which is why there are some trans- traditions that says you can't actually become a Christian until you have read the whole Bible. They're so rooted in this that they've never actually changed their stance on anything. I, that's not my story. Like I, Do you all ever get things wrong? Don't tell my family, and for you all that are sitting in here in my family, just cover your ears for a few minutes, but I've gotten a lot of stuff wrong throughout my life. And by the grace of God and the fact that he has given me his word that I can read, I have corrected a lot of those things over my life. We've even done that as a church over the last 13 years. At times we think this is the way for us to be the church and we realize we're not actually leading people to be any different than they already are. That's not what the church does. Part of this conversation, why we're having it now, is because come this fall, I'm not saying we're going to be a well-greased machine or well-oiled machine, because that's going to not be the case. We're people. We're fallible. But I want us to have some hard conversations over these next few months, because God is doing something in our city. And while we're seeing the, the pieces of the pandemic, at least for now, beginning to fade away, it's still having an effect on people. I want us to be ready to go this fall. We've got a lot to learn. We're going to use a lot of tree analogies. We're going to be looking at fruit bushes and how they cross-pollinate and how doing life with people who are different from us make us sweeter. Do you know there are whole forests that are not separate entities? It's all one living organism, whole forests that are one living organism. When we look at the surface, they're all unique and individual. But when you look under the surface, it's all one thing. That's the way Jesus talked about the church. It's incredible. We're going to look at the power of those who have been in the faith longer, bringing up those who are younger in the faith. There's great power in that. We're going to look at what does it look like. I when I, I shared last week when I became a Christian, I I knew that one of the expectations growing up in an evangelical church was that I had to share my faith with others, and that was the very last thing I wanted to do. I, I just wanted to know Jesus. I didn't want to go talk to my friends and feel like they were, you know, I didn't want to embarrass myself. We're going to talk about what does it mean to really share our faith. It's not always what we thought it was. We find some really incredible examples in nature that demonstrate what Jesus talked about and what it means to share your faith. All this is where we're headed. Last week and this week are kind of our introduction to 
how do we get our stuff together so that we can really approach this seriously? Fun stuff's going to start next week. I hope you'll join us. If you're out of town or you've got stuff planned, listen, go fully enjoy. Pick us up online or be here when you can. None of this works until that bigger picture we understand. He's not just an individual relationship, but it's about ourselves as a community, relying on each other, encouraging each other, teaching each other, taking care of each other. That's the way Jesus talked about us. That's the good stuff. That's where we're headed. All right, would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would be rooted While we live in a sound clip world where we get a piece and think we understand the whole, we can't, we can't approach you like that. Father, I pray that you would give us some sense of the story you're trying to tell in each one of our lives, that we would see this invitation to reign with you forever. But what does that look like right now and in this place with these people, with our friends that we go to school with or we work with, Unite us so that this idea of being a Christian is not just all in our minds, but it is every part of ourselves in which we experience you living within us just as you came on this Pentecost Sunday 2,000 years ago. Let us experience what is real and demonstrate what is real. I pray that as we approach your word from start to finish, Father, I pray that you would help us to undo the assumptions that we've had that are not true. And instead, we will be invited into what is all truth. You have promised us that you will teach us that. You have promised us that your spirit, that is its role within our lives. Let that be the testimony of our hearts that we are experiencing this together. Pray that as we move forward, you will speak to us as how we fit into this big story. Calling us to serve, calling us to go, calling us to wrap our entire lives around you, the great, the pearl of great price or the treasure. You are the treasure. Let us wrap everything around you so that those who are hurting can see there is a way that is good. There is a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light and there is a beauty doing life with you and with others who are doing life with you too. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lead us in the place in which you want us to go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.